0: morning everyone all right so you may have noticed there's some apparatus up here um gonna be doing a little a little cooking for you this morning um but uh the people who get what i'm gonna be cooking are the ones who are gonna be able to answer one of two questions and so anyone can answer it. Just pop your hand up and, and yell it out. So the first question is really simple. Not what is it, but what's the number of the first chapter in the Bible? First book, first chapter. What is it? So you're going, this is way too simple. It's Go ahead, Peg. There, there you go. Genesis 1. Verse 1, right? What's the last chapter and the last verse in your Bible? What's that? No, last chapter, last verse. Wow, no one's even turning. Oh, that's just, that's just sad. No one bring a Bible with them? Everyone's pulling out their phones. What's the, I don't know, it's faster this way. I'll give you a hint. It's in Revelation. So Peggy gets one. Who's going to get the next one? Yep. Revelation 22, 21. That's right. Awesome. So Amanda gets the other one. So, well, I'll tell you what I'm making here in just a little bit. So we are starting our series, Unprogressive, where we're going to be talking about this movement going on in the church today called the Emergent or the Progressive Christian Movement. Um, I've been looking into this for well over a year now, Um, it it caught my attention kind of early on in COVID, and uh, it was depressingly surprising to see how far this movement has gone, how much of the church it has really invaded, and how many people have no idea how to even recognize it. I talk to a lot of people about this, and they, well, I don't see the problem with that. Why is that such a bad thing? I, this, this isn't horrible. This isn't bad. And a lot of the times they're right. The individual details aren't necessarily bad. They're not necessarily evil. But when you put them all together, what you end up with is something that is actually not Christianity. It becomes more of a social movement than an internal spiritual change. And this is a very important thing to Understand because this is going to be invading the church. Now, there's a couple of verses that are going to be helping us, uh, help guide us uh, through this process. Um as we're uh, as we're doing this study, um I really want to encourage you to grab a notebook um at some point in time or a little sermon notebook to uh to, to help because there is a lot of a lot of information with this, but I'm gonna try not to not to turn this into some sort of Bible school lecture. Um I want to to hopefully have this engaging, which is partially what we're doing here this morning with this. But here's a couple of verses that are gonna help guide us through this. And the first one is Second Peter two, one and two. And it says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in, pay attention to this, destructive heresies. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom, uh, excuse me, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And the second one is Colossians 2.8. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Empty deceit are really great promises that go nowhere. According to the tradition of men, human reasoning, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. One of the most difficult parts of being a pastor is the role of watchman on the wall. Every calling in God has a role attached to it. And as a pastor, as a teacher, one of the more difficult roles that we deal with is what's, what's referred to often as watchman on the wall. And what that really means is you're, 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 just, you're, you're standing and you're watching everything going on around you and you're trying to discern what is a problem and what is nothing to worry about. And when it comes to theology, theology matters, You'll hear a lot of people talk in the church today, theology doesn't matter, Jesus matters. Well, Jesus is theology. (laughs) I don't know if you realize that, but Jesus is theology. Um, If you believe in Jesus, you have a theological viewpoint. So theology matters, and there is good theology, and there is really, really bad theology. The problem is there's that deceitful thing in the middle that looks right, sounds right, but it's not. It tugs on your heartstrings, but it doesn't actually do anything. The calling to point out errors in the teachings of God, God's word, to call out the truth from the lies, is not an easy thing to do. Um, it is very much not an easy thing to do, and honestly, I don't like doing it. But it has to be done, and it has to be done very cautiously. It has to be done with a lot of humility, and it needs to be done in a way and, and by people who are not afraid of being wrong and not afraid of learning. Because at some point in time, we all need to understand, at some point in time, we are wrong about something and your religious understanding, and your understanding of the gospel, and your understanding of doctrine and theology, at some point in time, you're going to be confronted with, a, with an idea and a premise that's going, that, that is going to force you to believe and understand you are wrong about this. And you have two choices. I am not wrong. Or you can have some humility and learn and grow. And that's what, that's what has to happen. The, and on the other side of it, you also have to be willing to stand up and take the hits for saying things that are very, very unpopular. Um, I've never had an issue with that myself. Um, I've been there, done that. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let this, we'll, we'll, we'll make this a, a go. Um, it's kind of like, hey, ask George, he'll say anything. Um, because we have to. We have to stand for the truth of God, no matter how unpopular it might make you. Now, when I first began uh, dealing with my podcast last year, uh, when it first started at uh, sort of like midway through 2020, um, I started talking about very popular teachers like Bill Johnson, Todd White. Started talking about a very popular thing in the church called the Enneagram. And I started exposing the roots of the, of the theological issues in the teaching and exposing the roots of where this thing called the Enneagram actually came from. Now, I come from a pagan background. I, I, I was into witchcraft before I became a Christian. So when I saw these things, I went, oh my gosh, the church needs to know about these things because people aren't recognizing these things. But I knew where they, where they came from because I came from there. When I brought that to light, I became exceptionally unpopular with people who had been my friends. And had worked with me. And had supported me. Not because of what I was bringing to their attention. When I would bring a teaching. Please let's examine this person's teaching. And where they came to this conclusion. And why this is completely unbiblical. We would talk about it. They were never able to defend the teaching. That's important. They were never able to defend the teaching. What offended them is I would have the gall to Talk negatively about someone so anointed. How dare you speak negatively against this person? And I would ask. I'm, I'm sorry if that offends you. Can we come back to the teaching? And here's what I would get told. And I actually have this in chat messages. No, I can't defend their teaching, but I know you're wrong. What? I don't know why and I don't know how, but I know you're wrong. You can't be right about the pagan roots of the Enneagram because it helped me. Uh, So, you think the devil can't help you? (laughs) If helping you takes you away from Jesus, the devil will help you. Did you not realize that? The devil's job is not to get you to become a Satanist. It's just to keep you away from Jesus. That's his only goal. He doesn't care how he does it. But there's a price that you pay when you do it. And you have to be willing to pay that price. When a teacher, a pastor, or a self-appointed apostle or a prophet, because there's a whole lot of those out there, when people elevate their personal views above the scriptures, they have to be pointed out and they have to be avoided because they are poison to the truth. The reason why the gospel and the reason why the Bible tells us to call out people like this is because they are poison to the truth. When Christians refuse to stand up, when Christians refuse to defend the word of God, the enemy wins. But the problem is we have to know the word of God, and we have to understand the word of God. Because if we don't, we don't know what we're defending. We might end up defending a person. Now, thankfully, usually people in these groups are rather, rather easy to find. Um, the easiest group is the hyper-Pentecostal group. They love talking about the new truths, the new revelations, the secret things that God has revealed only to them. You can't get these things from God because you're not super spiritual enough. Right? They talk about their intimate moments where God appears to them or Jesus appears to them. My favorite one, when Jesus took them up to the library of heaven so that they could check out a book of secret knowledge. I'm not kidding. Okay? This is real. Real. I'll give you a hint on, on that particular one about a guy who believes Jesus took him up to heaven so that he could check out a book of secret knowledge. If you read the Passion Translation, the author of that book was that guy. His name's Brian Simmons. He honestly believes Jesus told him to rewrite the Bible because everybody had it wrong all through time. So when you buy one, when you read one, when you quote one, that's what you're supporting but you see, people don't know. And they go, I don't want to get rid of it because it, it, I like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know people who like drinking. Guess what? <laughs> it's not helping you. Now, the other group of people are a little harder. The progressive group. They don't typically take, take the super spiritual route because they think it's weird. They tend to take the opposite route, where they devalue anything that's spiritual or scriptural, especially anything scriptural. It can be spiritual. it just can't be scriptural. They devalue the Word of God, because the Word of God gets in the way of their selective human reasoning. And these are much more things to point out, because what they do is they devalue the Word of God, and they bring up in value social issues. And it tugs on our heartstrings. It says things like, God couldn't say that this lifestyle or this choice or this issue is going to lead people to hell because God is love. And I refuse to believe in a loving God who would do that. You see, they've elevated their human reasoning over the truth of God's word. But you see, we're not judged according to human reasoning. We're judged according to the word of God. And that's it. So it becomes much more difficult to deal with. And what they end up creating is what's called a false Christ, where they create God in their image. Isn't it very interesting that when God created man, he said, let us make man in our image. And now we're making him in our image. We want a God who thinks like us. We want a God who acts like us. We want a God who values the things that we value. We want a God who agrees with our view of right and wrong. And unfortunately, that only leads us to trouble. So as Christians, we are called, and the purpose of this series is to identify and to point out those teachers who really are bringing destructive heresies into the church. And I don't do this with any joy, but it is something that we are called to do. Let me help you understand this. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, but I know that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. See if this describes anyone you know. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Kids, you should pay attention to that one. Adults who have parents who are still alive. You should pay attention to it too. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Do you hear that? Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. That section where it says having a form of godliness, but denying its power, it means you want to look like you're spiritual, but you deny the source of all that we know and understand. That's what that means. You're not denying the power of the spirit. You're denying the authority of the word of God. You have a form of godliness. I went to church, punched the clock, gave, gave a little money. I'm good. Granted, the rest of the day I swore like a sailor and I was drunk by two o'clock. But it's fine. I paid my dues. It's a form of godliness. But we deny the power that can change lives. Now, Paul also tells us how to avoid this when he's talking to Timothy in, uh, just in the next couple of verses, starting in verse 10. He's praising Timothy. He says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, Make this personal, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known from the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is, with it, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof, correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, For every good work. So when you hear teachers say. I know what God. I know what the Bible says. But God spoke to me. And. Just stop listening right there. God is never going to speak to a teacher. A pastor. An evangelist. Someone who calls himself apostle or prophet or anything. He's never going to speak a word. That is opposite of the written word. Never. It cannot happen. God cannot deny himself. So we have to watch for that. A lot of times today we talk about the end times. And later on this year, remember, we're going to be doing a study on the end times. But in the book of Revelation, there's letters to the churches. And the first church that God sends a letter to, he says something amazing that I think gets overlooked in relationship to the reason why we have to be willing to point out false teachers and false Christ. In Revelations 2, 1 through 3, it says, The angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things... These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now listen to this next part. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. God is praising this church for being willing to test those who believe they have authority over the church in the name of God and the church is willing to call them out as the liars they are. God is praising them for that. That's rough, folks. That is rough. (laughs) Those who are teaching the truth are always going to find a way to take you back to the same place the written word of God. People who teach the truth will always bring you back to the written word of God because they want you to know what the truth is. Ephesians four eleven through 16 says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. These are the people God gave us to equip us for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of god to be a perfect man to the uh, to the measure and stature of the fullness of christ and that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head christ from whom the whole body joined, knit together by every way, joints, uh, uh, joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, the edifying of itself in love. Paul also writes to Timothy, Second 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Be diligent to present, present yourself approved by God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. So what kind of worker needs to be ashamed? One who gives you their opinion. Those are the workers that need to be ashamed. When I hear people say, you know, I read this passage of Scripture and I think it means. You ever been to those Bible studies? The I think Bible studies? Or how about this, what the passage means to you? (laughs) Deuce for you. It makes no difference what this means to you. The issue is what does it mean? Because the word of God is universal. It does not change with time. It does not change with society. It doesn't change because there's a group of people in the world who decided that they don't like that view anymore. It doesn't change because there's a bunch of politicians who've decided to make something legal. It doesn't change for any of that. It is what it is. He is the Lord. He does not change. Some people like to claim that the New Testament church didn't have scripture. So as New Testament Christians, what we should be doing is listening to the voice of the spirit within and not the word on the page. Because the word on the page is flawed. Boy, Paul, boy, we really had stuff wrong, didn't he? Paul really messed a lot of stuff up. Can't believe how many things he got wrong. Well, is that what the New Testament church believed? Did the New Testament church not have scripture? First John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do you test something? How many teachers are in the room? When you write a test, is there something else that you make called an answer key? And you check what? You check their answers against the master copy, right? So whenever you're checking something, there is always a master source by which you compare. And our personal views is not that source. What we compare everything to is the written word of God. If it lines up, it's good. If it doesn't, it ain't. How about this one? Acts 17, verse 11. Paul says, there were, these were more fair-minded. He's sharing the gospel. He says, these were more, more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that, they received the word with all readiness. They accepted what Paul was was, was saying. And they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They sat down to the evangelist and said, I will listen to what you're saying. But I'm going to take everything you say and I'm going to go back to the word of God. And if you have it wrong, we have a problem. Paul is praising them for their willingness to search the scriptures out for themselves and compare what he's saying. And my favorite one, when people say the New Testament church didn't have scripture, listen to this. 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18 says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider the long suffering of our Lord and salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, pay attention, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. He's talking about Paul's letters. Now listen to this. As also in all of his epistles. Peter is calling Paul's letters to the church's epistles in the first century. Speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which listen, untaught, or I should say self-appointed preachers and unstable people twist to their own destruction. They were twisting Paul's word all the way back into the first century. Now listen to this. As they do the rest of the scriptures. Okay. When he says the rest of the scriptures, what is he by default referring to Paul's writings? Scripture. So when people say Paul's writing aren't scripture, they don't know what they're talking about because it is because the Bible even declares Paul's writing scripture. Scripture. So the role of the teacher is to illuminate the teachings given to us in the word of God to the people of God for the purposes of God. We are called to teach and train the body for the work of the ministry. Bring the truth of God to the people of God for the purposes of God. That's what's supposed to happen. And unfortunately, along the way, we have to eliminate the lies. And so that brings me here. So what I've got for you today is um, I'm going to try to demonstrate what my goal is throughout this series. And today's message is titled Truth or Lies. And so what I've done is I'm going to make a couple of sliders for you. Sound good? Sounds horrible, right? And so what I've done here is I've got a collection of ingredients in front of me. And you know, ingredients are very, very interesting things because ingredients themselves are not a dish. Ingredients are what you combine in order to make a dish. So the quality of your ingredients has a great impact on what you're going to make, on what the finished dish is going to be. One of the things, and now for those of you who may not know my my history, I spent a lot of years in the restaurant industry. I'm actually a classically trained chef. I went off to culinary school, the whole nine yards. It was a lot of fun. I spent a lot of years in that industry. Um, God called me out into this, and now I use that little bit of understanding to help you know, bring about his word. No one seems to ever complain about it. I just uh, just want to point that out. So, but when you're, when you're going through a culinary school, one of the things that they don't teach you, people think that when you go to a culinary school, they teach you recipes. And the reality is, no good culinary school is going to teach you recipes. They're going to teach you Ingredients. They're going to teach you how to use each individual thing. How do you use salt correctly? How do you use sugar correctly? How do you use garlic, powdered garlic, granulated garlic? How do you use, what's the difference between a fresh herb and a dried herb? What about chicken? What about quality of beef? How do you, how do you know how to use these things when they're sitting in front of you? How do you get the best flavor out of them? So that's what a good culinary school is going to do. They're going to teach you how to use the individual parts. Now, each of these individual parts comes together to form a dish. Now, if you do it right, the dish is nice. If you do it wrong, it's not so nice, right? It's not—it's it's not so nice, and it usually only takes a little bit of a mistake to go from nice to not so nice. Sometimes just adding a little too much salt goes from mmm to oh, jeez. So what I've got here, I've got some truth, and I have a lie. Just in this box, okay. So, what I have for you first are plant-based beef patties. That's right. That's a lie. Now, here's something I, I want to tell you. I, I made these last night. I, I made a, uh, one last night just because I had to to at least try it, right? And you know what? It wasn't bad. It, it, they actually did, I'll, I'll give them some credit, whatever this company is. Can I get a paper towel or something for my answer? Whatever company did this actually did a fair job approximating what beef would taste like without beef. The problem is when you look at an ingredient label for beef, what should be in it? Beef. Sound too difficult, right? What's the ingredient label in that ground beef? It should be beef, right? No ground, (laughs) just beef. Now, here's the ingredient label for that beef patty. Now, I don't even know what expeller press canola oil is. And I don't want to know. Now, on the other side here, I have some nice, high quality. Thank you very much. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Ground beef patties, right? This is made from grain-fed beef. In just case you're wondering, it's 85-15. So you want a good amount of fat in there, right? Now, when I was making the patties out of whatever this is, all I could think while I was making it was that this looks, feels, and smells like dog food. It really, I mean, it does. If you smell something, you're like, I smell dog food. That, that, that's this. That's what this is. This is, this is a plant trying to be, be, trying to be beef. Now, I just want to point out to the companies that make plant-based beef, cows have been making plants into beef forever. They do it naturally, and they don't need that to make it. Now, the beef patties, that's the ingredient label. They contain meat. Meat. Now, I could spend a lot of time getting upset over this. You know, getting, getting, you know, stomping my feet. This isn't right. This is, this is wrong. This isn't, this isn't the way this is supposed to be. Um, but like I said, the, the people who did this actually did a good job. Like, they taste pretty close to beef. Pretty close. Now, when I tasted it, I immediately knew. Like, okay, I understand what they're trying to do. I also know why it's wrong. Now, the reason that I, un- I was able to identify it so quick, because people have said, oh, in a blind taste test, you wouldn't be able to pick it out. Said, Go ahead. <laughs> the reason I can pick it out is because I know what the real thing tastes like. You understand what I'm saying? I know what the real thing tastes like. So when it comes to our faith, it's very easy to pick out the fallacies from the truth if you know what the real thing is supposed to be. If you know what the truth of God is, then finding the fallacies is relatively simple. It doesn't take a genius to do this. You just have to know what you're looking for. I don't have an issue with anyone who wants to eat that plant-based stuff, and if you're like, you're welcome to try. It simply is what it is. The problem is, it is not what it is pretending to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is simply not what it's calling itself. And we live in a world today where there are a lot of people trying to call themselves something they are not. That is the definition of a lie. When you decide for yourself that you are what you physically cannot be, you're lying to yourself. And the worst thing is you're trying to get everybody else around you to accept the same lie. That doesn't work. Because God made us in a very specific way. smelling good in here, isn't it? (laughs) Howard's like, I should have answered the question. Now, if you think about this basic truth, beef is beef, right? We say dumb things when it comes to food. Have you ever said to yourself, I like fish, I just don't like it when it's fishy. Okay, it's not that you don't like fish, you don't like certain types of fish, right? Because no one ever says, I like beef, I just don't like it when it's beefy. <laughs> I hate ham when it's hammy. It just, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Here's the thing. Um, what should, what should beef taste like? Beef. What should chicken taste like? Chicken. Okay, let's keep this going. This is good. What does fish taste like? Fish! So fish is supposed to be fishy! You don't have pig beef. You have cow beef. There's no such thing as plant beef. I find it funny that people in the vegetarian community and the vegan community are trying so hard to eat what we eat and feel good about themselves without actually having to cross the line. It makes me think of a lot of people in churches who want to look a lot like a Christian without actually crossing the line of commitment. We have a form of godliness but we deny its power, and by denying its power, we deny its power to actually change our life. We've cut God off at the knees, because we don't want to have to commit to what He says about everything. Because when we commit, we commit. When you're in, you're in. When people say, I'm gonna live by the teachings of Jesus Christ, and the teachings of Jesus Christ found in Scripture alone. When we say that out loud, The other people around you who know just enough about the Bible to be dangerous get to say things like, thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a Christian. Why did we have to pour you into the car last night? For those of you who have ever been out drinking, you know exactly what I'm saying. I thought you were a Christian. Why are you so excited that marijuana is legal now? I thought you were a Christian. Why do you treat your wife like that? Right. This is the truth. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power of that godliness to change our lives. We are walking around Christians pretending to be a hamburger when really we're whatever that ingredient list was. We want desperately to have God in our lives without giving Him the ability to change who we are. I like using that language. I like drinking that fill-in-the-blank. I like having that affair. But we get along so well. See what's happening? Here's what's happening in our church. Wow. Well, in the church I like Jesus but I won't go to a church that won't stand up against our state really? Jesus said for the gospel tells us to uh, forsake not the gathering of the brethren I like Christianity I like the church I like Jesus but I'm not going to tell people about the gospel why? 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 I like Jesus and I like being saved, but all of my friends are going out to that bar, so I naturally I've got to go with them. Where else am I going to witness to them if not at the bar? Really? Why? We have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. We're the Christian equivalent to plant-based beef. I'm doing everything I can to make this stuff taste better those of you who are wondering, this is smoke Gouda. <laughs> now you're like, should I answer the question? You don't need a lot, these are small. Actually, that actually might be too much. See, because when you're balancing things, when you're creating something, one of the tricks is knowing when you got too much and knowing how to not overpower something. See, if I make these correctly, every individual part is going to be discernible. You're going to be able to taste the beef. You're going to be able to taste the cheese. You'll be able to taste the pickle, the tomato, and the caramelized onions. How many of you are getting hungry now? Amanda's like, I'm waiting. I'll be sending Dan your way in just a moment. Actually, can I get a couple plates? That would be great. Going to need more than a couple. So here's something that I did. This is a roasted garlic aioli. I actually fresh roasted the garlic last night. If you don't know what an aioli is, it's just a mayonnaise with stuff in it. We call it an aioli because culinary people are very proud of themselves and we've got to make everything look and sound more complicated than it actually is. If you roast the garlic right, when you take it out of the oven, it'll actually squeeze out of the... It'll actually squeeze out like peanut butter done really, really well. Thank you very much. So I'm going to put the fake stuff up here first. like <laughs> No! If you're curious about this stuff, I'd actually like you to try it. It's better than you think it is. <laughs> but I need to ask you something. What do you want to be to the world that's around you, to the people who need you, to the lost and the hurting around you? What do you want to be? Got a little baby green here. Do you want to be something real or do you want to be something fake? Do you want to be able to give them the hope that lasts actually for eternity or do you want to give them something that you hope actually has hope built into it? As Christians, it's very important for us to be able to tell what we're giving to other people. Do you want the real thing? Or do you want the lie? Pick. Because you only get one choice. These are pretty good but they're a lie. These are the real thing. In case you're wondering, I do not cook ground beef all the way through as a hamburger. Don't make that animal die in vain. So we got some caramelized onion. And if you know how to do it right, you can actually bring the flavor of the natural product out for itself. Doesn't need a lot of help. When you actually know how to use the real thing, you don't have to dress it up and make it look pretty. It's kind of like churches that want people to worship because they have a fog machine. they think that you're going to listen to the pastor because he's wearing skinny jeans? Can you imagine me in skinny jeans? I couldn't imagine me in skinny anything. If I tried to wear skinny jeans, I'd probably knock the person in the front row out with the belt, with the button when it come off. Ping! All right. I know this was a little little lengthy, and I, I apologize. I should have started these earlier. But I do want to ask you a question. Which would you rather have? You see, now, there's nothing wrong with this. And there's a lot of stuff in this progressive doctrine that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. It's actually very good. Being socially minded, being kind to people that are around you, being generous, being accepting, all these things are good. But this is a lie. This might make me feel good. This might make me feel like I'm being helpful to the environment. It might make me more acceptable to other people but this is a lie this is the fallacy this is the false Christ or you have the real thing that is probably going to make you less popular it's more expensive harder to prepare harder to maintain but it's real you understand what I'm trying to tell you this is the task that we're going to have over the next few weeks To help you understand the difference between a dressed up lie and the truth. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask you to be with us as we take this challenge, take this journey over the next few weeks. Father, as we look into the truth of your word, Father, as we look into the reality of the challenge that is ahead of us, that we don't mistake a dressed up lie for the truth. Now the lie tries to lead us away from what you have prepared for us, but the truth will always bring us back to the natural conclusion that it is your word and your word alone. Help us to see that. Help us to understand that. Help us to help all those who are listening understand we are not attacking individuals. We are attacking ideologies. We are going after false views in hopes that maybe people will listen and turn back to the truth that is you. We thank you for all that you do and continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.